What's going on everyone? Welcome to the very first episode of the Dad's Game Podcast. I'm your host, Awesome Hazelnuts, or you can actually call me by my real name, which is Johan. You click on the podcast because either you play the game, maybe your friend passed you the link to the podcast because you found it interesting, or maybe even you just grew tired of playing Hearthstone, or maybe Artifact was too in it for the long haul and you couldn't wait no longer. You know, you got to apply for beta right now, beta season 2.0. And you're thinking, you know what? I've been hearing about this Legends of Runeterra thing from my friends. It has to be pretty good, right? I see lots of people talking about it. Lots of people are saying that it's pretty free to play. All you got to do is just grind it out and you can get most of the cards. And that's, let me tell you, man, this podcast is everything that you need. To get into Legends of Runeterra. So, let me just give you a short story of how I actually discovered Legends of Runeterra. It was actually during November of last year, as I was watching the League of Legends World Championships, The Spectator. And then I remember one of the caster, I can't remember who was it, but he mentioned that, you know, Riot Games is gonna launch a couple of games in, it's gonna be an MMORPG, there's gonna be a card game. I remember I wasn't actually on the tab in which the stream was playing. I instantly clicked on the stream and I went to listen to what he had to say. So, Riot actually had like a strategy where they were going to launch multiple games at the same time. And as for me, I'm a card game enthusiast. I've been playing card games for a very long time. I could even say that I started playing card games at the age of 7 with Uno. Okay, I, I know, I know. Uno doesn't really count as a card game, right? Okay, let's just say I started playing Duel Masters at the age of... It. At the point of time when I was 8 years old, Duel Masters was like the cheapest card game possible. Neighborhood card shop was selling like one pack for like $3. And at one point they were like, because most of the people were playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Most of the teenagers at the time were playing Yu-Gi-Oh! They like bumped the price of the Duel Masters cards to like $1 per pack because they had to cater to us primary school students, also known as elementary school students in case you are listening from United States or Europe. So that was actually my first foray into card games. I played like many card games since then. And then when I heard that Riot was going to launch a card game, I was actually quite excited. Because during that year, it was the year of Artifact, in which I was actually really hyped. They were actually, they, they, they were talking about Artifact during the International, which is their World Championship equivalent of the LOL Worlds. So they were saying that Artifact was going to be like a revolutionary card game. At that point of time, they were only like, Hearthstone that people actually take seriously as a card game. Now, don't get me wrong, Hearthstone is a great game. But whenever, some, but whenever someone were to announce that they're going to make a card game, there's all, of course going to be expectations. We're going to think that the next game is going to be great. You know, what's the point of creating, right? And then they were talking about Andrew Garfield, the famous Magic the Gathering designer? Was he a designer? I, I can't recall, but he's somewhat a famous guy. He's working on an artifact game, so the hype was actually quite huge. However, there was one thing that really plagued Artifact. It was that, you know, it's great as a game, it's great as an eSport, but the biggest problem was that it was hard for the spectator to actually understand what's going on. And if you don't play the game, you actually don't really know what's actually happening. Uh, let's say I'm spectating a Yu-Gi-Oh match, I'll know what's happening. I watch a Duel Masters match, I know that, oh, you just break the shield, I win the game. But then Artifact is like multiplied by three times. Actually, many different ways that you can win the game. Just go, just go one lane all in and just burst is tower or you can actually conquer two lanes if i'm a casual spectator and i were to watch it recreationally i wouldn't enjoy it 
let's say I play Hearthstone, I understand what's going on. The gameplay is actually quite pleasing to watch. Like if I were to compare Artifact and Hearthstone is that Hearthstone is actually visually pleasing and that's when Legends of Runeterra comes in. When I first played the game, I was so impressed by like the UI, the game itself, the gameplay, the card design, everything. Like it gave me the, the, the it gave me the feels man. That was when in 2014 when I actually first started playing Hearthstone for the very first time. It was like I was so used to playing card games physically, you know, having a card in my hand, dropping the cards, stuff like that. And then when I saw Hearthstone at the first for the very first time, I was like, whoa, this is actually like an experience man. And then came along Legends of Runeterra. It was like the whole experience but like amplified, you know. The champions have a distinct feel to them. You actually feel like you're playing like the League of Legends champion itself. But the way they tie in the champions along with the card design, it was really amazing. So that actually really stuck to me. So, a little fun fact is that I'm based in Singapore. So, Singapore was actually chosen as one of the countries to have the simultaneous launch. The launch of like the PC version and the mobile version at the same time. I wasn't really like, no, I didn't really know like when Legends of Drama was going to launch. I did sign up for the beta, but the best part was that I didn't know that it only applied to like North America region and the European region. So I actually had a friend who was like in the seat. Pretty sure most of you who are like Singaporean, you probably know him. His name is Silver. He's like one of the bigger like tournament organizers in Singapore for Hearthstone. Like the guy's an amazing guy. I remember like meeting up with him in like February, March and we came alive because both of us had graduated from college. We're already like starting adult adulting, which is like a very Singaporean term. Working adults and yeah. So we discussed about like our past days where he was like organizing tournaments and where I participated in his tournaments. Like it was actually really good times to be talking about it. And then suddenly he mentioned that, hey man, you know that uh there's gonna be a new card game that's gonna be out called Legends of Runeterra. It's gonna be launched by Riot Games. Pretty sure I heard this before. And then it all clicked in my head. I was like, oh, oh, no, oh, that's the game? That's the Riot card game that they actually announced during the World Championships. And so I was instantly like, he got my attention and I asked him like, do you know when the game's going to launch? Then he just told me that I have insider news that it might be sometime during March or early April. That's actually quite definitive because it was already like first week of March and if it's not going to be March, it has to be April, right? Or like a fixed pass, like two weeks pass. And all of a sudden on my state newspaper, Straits Times, a Legends of Runeterra advertisement right, was actually on the newspaper under the Digital Times. They were saying that Singapore was selected as the first country in Southeast Asia to have the simultaneous launch. And they actually put the date on it. If I'm not wrong, it's something around 2nd April or 2nd April. Yeah, it was 2nd April. So I had to put this on my calendar, man. And for like people who don't really know me, I'm actually quite a... I would say I'm a routine person. So I usually have my weeks planned out, like what I'm going to do. Apart from my work commitments, my own outside commitments, family commitments. When the game launched in April, I reached back home. Open up my calendar, push everything back, made a huge change to my calendar. All I wanted was just to try out the game. And then downloaded the game, made an account, played it. When I first launched it, went through the tutorial and everything. Mind blown because the animation was damn nice. And I was taken away that the economy of the game was so different compared to every other card game I've played. In the previous card games, we opened booster packs to get the cards you want. And it was very random, you might not get the card you want. In fact, you might end up spending like a lot of money just to get viable deck to play on the ladder. But then in Legends of Rinta, they just cut straight to the chase. And all you gotta do is just craft the cards that you want. And so I did a bit of, a little bit of research and then eventually I played like that Hackerim Elusive deck, which was like the most popular deck at that time during the first week of beta. I think at that point, the 
America's region and the European region really started playing. We just, I just based off the meta based on what they were playing. So I just took the best deck possible. And then like within two days, I hit like go five. The deck was, the deck played itself. Like I always follow a very simple mantra when it comes to card games. It's like you don't try to like learn everything at one time. Just focus on one deck. You learn the mechanics of that one deck. Perhaps you learn about actually the majority of mechanics. Drain, drain interaction with armor. You get to see spell mana. You actually like can balance out so you know the right turn to cast ruination. You know the right turn to cast combination of having hackerim along with mana save for deny and stuff like that. I spent the first week learning about the game, learning about resource management again, which is something that in card games is very important, which is resource management that most players don't really get into, they just play out their hand, not thinking what their opponent has. Within a week, I got used to the game, and all of a sudden, there was actually a patch that appeared. This is unheard of. I was so used to Yu-Gi-Oh having ban list every 6 months, and Hearthstone maybe occasionally addressing overpowered cards. I like the fact that Riot Games were in tune with the community, read and understood the feedback that the players in the beta season were actually giving them. They made some changes to Hackerim, to the overall Shadow Isles package, to make it less oppressive. Because let's be honest, at that time, I think Shadow Isles was like hands down the best region possible. You pair it with Ionia, which is the, the best disruptive region, you get a powerhouse that can only be beaten by aggro itself. And in the Hackerim deck, there was like lifesteal and there was everything that you need to like survive the early mid game. When it comes to mid-game, Hackering is so strong, it just closes out the game from there. So when I saw what Riot did with the new, with the, with the patch within like the first week of launch in Singapore, or like Southeast Asian region, this is the game that I have to play, man. Maybe I should give it a go, you know? Something in me clicked. I've been creating content for quite a long time. I used to create content for Yu-Gi-Oh! So I was actually thinking at that point like, you know what, maybe I should start creating content for League of Legends or Runeterra. I enjoy the game. I want I want to be some way I want to contribute to the community because that's the person as I am. That, that was actually one of the fundamental reasons why I enjoy playing card games because I like playing the game, I like writing about it. I enjoy competing. But right now circumstances are different. I really graduated on college. I have more responsibility added to me as a adult right now. So maybe creating content is something I can do along with like enjoying the game itself. I was actually thinking of either I start writing articles again, but then I already knew the process of writing articles. Like I've been through the highs and lows of having nobody read to the point where consistent readers and then eventually I hit a lot of people reading my article. I was looking at YouTube. My concept of YouTube is that I prefer doing it like vlog style so Legends of Runeterra didn't really match that kind of style that I wanted to create in terms of content. And so there was something that I actually had in mind for a while. I've always wanted to make a podcast. I've always been a fan of the Joko podcast. Joko podcast, sorry. He's the own. He's the author of uh, Extreme Ownership, one of like the best leadership books that you can read. He's also a former Navy SEAL, so the guy's the, the package man of a soldier and a role model. That I did listen to a couple of podcasts, you know, like Joe Joe Rogan Experience. And then there's Talk is Jericho, who is you know Chris Jericho, the wrestler. He made a podcast, and then there's of course Joko podcast. I really enjoy listening to the podcast when I'm like doing some stuff. Back when I was a student, when I was studying i listen to podcasts so actually creating a podcast has been something that i've been planning for a very long time but i couldn't just find the topic that i wanted to talk about so now it's like the perfect opportunity there's a game that i just started playing and i enjoy why not make a podcast out of it so i did a quick google search and i saw that there's actually not a lot of people making podcasts for this game hence the decision 
you know what, I gotta start doing it today. So I went on Amazon, I get all my gear. I went to buy a Bloom Yeti mic, I went to buy the Rode Boom Arm, and my pop filter has not arrived yet, but I can't wait. I already have it scheduled, put out my podcast, just churn out episodes. Like right now, I may be quite jittery, and I'm stuttering some of my words, and I repeat a lot of stuff. But I always believe in the process because, like I said, I make content. So I do know that consistency is everything. Hard work equals success. Eventually, one day, I'll get very good at it. I know time will tell. But I do know, like I do speaking from experience. All you got to do is put in the work. You eventually get better. Wouldn't call yourself a master. You just get you, you just get it eventually. That is life. It's like if you code every day, you're eventually going to be a pretty good coder, you know? You make websites every day, you're going to make very good website eventually. So it all comes down to how much work you actually put in. So that's the mentality that I have that I carry on to everything in my life. So in this podcast, I tend to cover like a couple of things. Of course, I'll be like going into card design, how certain cards are designed, how you can optimize your deck to play the cards. Of course, I'll be talking about like the ever-changing meta game. From the start until now, the meta has always been changing. Like there's no set meta. From the other card games that I've played, sometimes the meta can last for like three, six months without any change. But in uh, but when in Legends of Raventerra right, uh, right now, it went from the ephemeral mid-range, ephem- ephemeral mid-range, sorry. Then it went to Elusive, then it went to Ezreal Karma. Eventually, it moved on to Corona Control, and then Burn Aggro suddenly came out. Then Champless Burn, followed by Lux Karma, Hymer Vi, and now we have like the Freelord meta, which all of a sudden popped out. There were actually talks that people were saying that, oh, Freelord is the weakest region. Someone found a way to optimize Sejuani, which is like the, one of the newest champions in Legends of Terra. They found it that it can actually work with Noxious or maybe Bilge Water, depending on the type of playstyle you want. You want to plunder your opponent cards, or you want to play the standard beatdown with the Crimson Package. So there's a lot of things that are still unexplored, and hence I'll be going through the ever changing meta game. Maybe every week I'll start talking about what the decks I face and what the decks I currently play. Let me give you like a short example. This week I pick at rank 73 masters. I play Sejuani Swain deck. It set up the what's it? The eight mana ship along with Swain and Sejuani to to like always lock your opponent. Because nowadays the meta revolves around attack uh, combat phase damage. Unless you're playing Ezreal Karma, which is you don't rely on the combat phase to win. So as you can see, the meta is always changing. So it's something that I would like to talk about in my podcast. And then of course I'll be covering about the competitive aspect, which is the mentality and the psychological part. How you can actually take your game to the next level. Because I'm pretty sure that most of you who play the game, most of you are aspiring pros, you know? I've been there before. When I was young, I used to play a lot of card games. Eventually, I competed in tournaments. Then I played in national championships. Eventually, became national champion. Let me tell you something. It's like, if I can do it, you can do it too. Let's just call me like sample size A. Always believe in yourself. That's the most important thing. You're young. Just go for it. And nothing to worry about. Just do it, man. In the past, right, there were no manuals for people to listen to or there's, there were no self-help motivational stuff that people had. All you gotta do is just do it. Just ignore the voice. Ignore the everything. And just go for it. So this is like a mini sample of what I'll be covering. Let's actually promo that I'm actually gonna cut, which is just do it. Sounds interesting, right? You guys should actually tune into the future podcast because I'll be definitely going very in-depth on the psychological and mental aspects of card games and how you can turn your master's rank into a championship win. So there's a certain format that I'll be following my podcast. So I'd like to start with like a forward with a book that I read recently. Maybe a short paragraph which is something related to the topic that I'll be talking for the episode. And of course I'll be discussing what I've been up to this up what I've been up to during the week. My rank level experience, what I've been doing, updates to my studio and stuff like that. And of course, 
for today's episode, it's like the pilot episode and introduction of myself. So I'll actually be talking about three topics. The first one is how I started playing card games. The second one is going to be my experience playing card games from a kid to a teenager and now to a young adult. And finally, the third topic, I'll be talking about what I want to achieve with the podcast, which I went in minor detail just now. And of course, I'll be talking about various ways that you can actually contact me. So right now, we'll cut to a short break and we'll continue with the forward. So now, let me begin with a forward of a chapter of a book that I read recently. It relates to this episode really well. Let's get started then. Chaos and order are fundamental elements because every live situation, even every conceivable live situation, is made out of both. No matter where we are, there are some things we can identify, make use of and predict, and some things we neither know nor understand. No matter who we are, Kalahari Desert Dweller or Wall Street Banker, some things are under our control and some things are not. That's why both can understand the same stories and dwell within the confines of the same eternal truths. Finally, the fundamentally reality of chaos and order is true for everything alive, not only for us. Living things are always to be found in places they can master, surrounded by things and situations that make them vulnerable. Order is not enough. You can't just be stable and secure and unchanging because there are still vital and important new things to be learned. Nonetheless, chaos can be too much. You can't long tolerate being swamped and overwhelmed beyond your capacity to cope while you are learning what you still need to know. Thus, you need to place one foot in what you have mastered and understood and the other in what you are currently exploring and mastering. Then, you position yourself where the terror of existence is under control and you are secure but where you are also alert and engaged. That is where there is something new to master and some way that you can be improved. That is where meanings to be found. 12 Rules for Life An Antidote to Chaos by Dr. Jordan B. Peterson As you can see, this chapter, or this short paragraph in which I just narrated, really epitomizes everything about this podcast. As a young adult, moving on to the next chapter of my life while holding on to an integral part of my identity, which is enjoying creating content, writing articles, I'm taking the next step forward into mastering something new. And maybe that's where there's meaning to be found. Perhaps, after you heard this chapter, you feel enlightened. Perhaps it's time for you to try out something new. Because... If not now, then when? So let's get on with the first topic, which is how I actually started playing games. I still remember as a little kid, my family would often take me and my sister to Takashimaya, which was the departmental store in Orchard Road, which is Singapore's shopping district. Pretty sure if you guys have visited Japan before, Takashimaya would ring a certain bell. Yes, it is the biggest shopping mall in Japan, like one of the biggest chains. Takashimaya really epitomizes to me what a shopping mall is, the standards and everything. He had a world-class bookstore in Kinukuniya, where I remember as a kid, I would often go there to read Adventure Quest books, the books in which you flip different pages. It's like playing a game. 
at the same time that you're reading a book. I also enjoyed looking at comics. Didn't really enjoy any other kinds of books though, even though my parents were trying to make me to read. And then of course, there was the departmental store. And my favourite section was the toy section. I can easily spend hours over there looking at the games that the other kids were playing. We had demo playstations and Game Boy Advances. So I could easily spend hours standing there watching the kids play. Most of the toys in the departmental store were actually packaged and sealed so we couldn't like open them and play around with it. You know, if they allowed it, it would have been a mess because, you know, kids don't really have much accountability and we don't really think that much. We are just simple. However, even though I enjoyed watching people play like PlayStations, Xboxes, were they Xbox? Maybe not. The Game Boy Advance, you get the drill. I didn't like to play them, but I like to watch people play them. Even now today, I would rather be a spectator watching people play Dota and League of Legends than actually playing the game. It's much more fun to be a spectator. How games actually succeed is to have like a very good spectator base or to make it very easy for people to understand. The fact that I wasn't like, I didn't have the dexterity to play shooting games, Thunder Vision, which she made it. I remember a time in which my friends were all playing Halo and I was the only one who wasn't really keen on playing Halo. I just wanted to play Super Mario and Mega Man, yeah, the side-strolling game. I enjoyed it, but I never liked Halo because it was a shooting game and I really had very poor aim. It was just something about me. Just couldn't play these style of games. In my family, we often had like a very meritocracy system in which we had to do well. It's very Asian. I know I get it. Like all of you know that I'm from Singapore. Like we had to do well in our exams. Then my, my parents would actually agree to get us something. So I remember it was at the end of the year, around November, December, I already exercised my final year exam coupon. I, I did well for my final exam, so my dad actually got me a... What's that thing called? Beyblade? Yeah, Beyblade. It was all the hype last time. The most important thing last time was that most of the games, the toys, they were being sold in toy stores. Most of them had anime, which was shown on my country's kids' channel. There were Zoids, Beyblade, Yu-Gi-Oh. The thing about Yu-Gi-Oh was that it was quite creepy though. I remember a time in which, if I'm not wrong, parents complained and then they changed the time slot of Yu-Gi-Oh to a different time because... There was the Millennium Eye thing. It was quite creepy. And there was one episode in which, like, I think Bakuya, sorry if I butchered the name, he went to, like, extract the eye out from the guy who owned the eye. So it was actually quite creepy. So I also didn't really enjoy the anime of Yu-Gi-Oh! I felt that it was very dark. Because, you know, the at the back of the Yu-Gi-Oh! card, it was, like, some black thing that, like, looks like it was to suck you in. So it never really appealed to me. There was another game at the time which was Duel Masters, which was way more kid friendly. They had like catchphrases and the character was very relatable. And he was had he had a very shonen vibe. They gave you the optimism and positivity that you want in the main character as a kid when you're watching. Like you can't really digest anything that's too complicated. So talking about the meritocracy thing, I really exercised my option of getting like a Beyblade. The funny thing is that when, what before you actually get something, you think that it's gonna be super amazing, but once you get it. It's so like subpar, like you rather just watch the anime instead of owning the Beyblade. So that was the, the funny thing. So I got the Beyblade and then there were kids who were using the, those huge steel rings that they bought from some counterfeit store and they actually and they actually just let it rip and they destroyed my basic Beyblade. I was so disheartened though. But of course, luck was actually on my side. It was actually Christmas. So that means that I could get another gift. I had many options in which like, I could either get a PlayStation, I could get a Game Boy, perhaps I could like get a Lego or Zoids and actually go and fix it myself. But the thing was that it wasn't really something that I like. PlayStation's great at all. 
but most of the games on there was something that didn't really appeal to me. Game Boys were there. I really wanted to play Pokemon at the time, but I had other priorities. There are other things that I really wanted. And then when it came to Zoids and Lego, I didn't really like the idea of sitting there and fixing the thing. So as a young kid, I sort of knew like what type of games I really liked. So those options were out of the picture for me. So I remember being at Takashimaya. It was the month of Christmas. You can see like a lot of kids, right? They were forcing their parents to get them the PlayStation, get them the Game Boys. You see their faces, they, they all try to do the, the crying thing. You know, it's a very childlike thing to pretend to, pretend to cry and to throw tantrum until your parents get it for you. So my dad was actually prepared to do the same. He knew that I wanted the Game Boy or the PlayStation. That was what he thought. He thought he knew that I wanted those things. But I had like a totally different plan for it. So what I did was, I went to the cashier and I pointed at a structure deck. It was a Yu-Gi-Oh structure deck actually. At that point, I really made up my mind. Like, I wanted to try playing like, a different card game, you know, like, a strategy card game. So I pointed at the structure deck. So I told my dad, this is what I wanted. I remember he looked at me like he didn't really understand what was going on. Because why in the world would I pick a structure deck for Christmas? There was the PlayStation option. There was a there was the Game Boy Advance option. And there were Legos and Zoids. So my dad went to confirm with me if I really wanted it. Because there were obviously better options. However, I was super dead set on the structure deck. I really wanted to own or maybe a deck of cards. I wanted to try out a new card game. I was so tired of Uno and Monopoly and Scrabble. I had at that point at the time in which when I picked the structure deck, I had no clue on how Yu-Gi-Oh was supposed to be played other than watching the enemy. So I pointed at it and I'm pretty sure my dad, he was actually quite happy because a deck of cards only cost 25 bucks while the PlayStation at the time was $300. The Game Boy Advance could easily set you back to 150 and you know those Zoid or Lego sets, they were super expensive, easily a hundred bucks for it. So my dad, I could tell he was trying to conceal his happiness, because it cost way less than a PlayStation. He looked at me and I was okay, I'm gonna get you the structure deck. He tried to play the strict parent role again, tried to be strict and show dominance over me. He was saying, once I get you the structure deck, that's all for Christmas, you can't get anything else. I said, yes, I want a structure deck. And I wasn't prepared for what came after. After he got me the structure deck and I went back home. I was super excited to open it dismantle it and see how it could be played and then there were like here's the funny thing there was a rule book there were like there was actually a manual to show what cards were in the deck and then of course there was the deck itself oh yeah the structure deck that I got was actually the Warriors Warriors Trump it was structure deck 6 if I'm not wrong the Warrior structure deck the one in Guilford the Lightning is it Guilford the Lightning or Guilford the Legend or something like that it was the Guilford deck so I opened it I was so confused on what type of cards I was holding you know as a little kid I had no idea how to play the game I remember my sister and I we were looking through the deck there were so many different texts on the card you know in Uno there's only plus 4 you know the reverse and yeah that kind of cards it was very easy to play when it came to Yu-Gi-Oh we had no clue what we got ourselves into we looked at the deck we looked at each other we couldn't tell my dad that the present was pretty bad and we didn't know what to do with it so what I did was I just took the deck we just split the deck into two and we anyhow just play like we just created our own rules after that the appeal, the appeal wore off so I just took the deck I kept it and it was never to be heard again I just kept the deck somewhere in my room because it was so complicated and we didn't really know how to play so let's forget about it but in my mind I really wanted to try a new game so at that point of time the other I think a year passed and then the card game in which all my classmates were playing because we were still in elementary school primary school it was Duel Masters and the thing was the Duel Masters cards were actually cheaper than Yu-Gi-Oh like Yu-Gi-Oh was the card game for teenagers most of the card packs were easily costing like the Japanese one cost around $3 $3.30 and the English card pack, at that point of time, I didn't know why, it cost like $7 per pack. So the Duel Masters was a game in which none of the teenagers were playing. So the, the card shop owner, he went to reduce the price of the Duel Masters pack to $1 per pack. So it was easily accessible to all of my peers at the age, at the same age as me. So what we did was, we just played Duel Masters amongst ourselves. So that was actually 
how I actually started playing games in general. I enjoyed watching people playing PlayStation and Game Boy Advances. But to me, deep down, I knew that I really wanted to play card games. So let's get on with the second topic, which is my experience playing card games. Earlier, you guys heard, you went from Yu-Gi-Oh! the structure deck, not knowing how to play, to all of a sudden, within a year, I picked up Duel Masters because that was a game in which my classmates or my, and my schoolmates, they were playing. And so, Duel Masters, we all play the game, we all know the different factions. Some of you might not have played it, but as long as you play card games, most of you should know like, of course, there are different regions, there are different colours, different type of play styles for different decks, in fact. There's going to be aggro, of course. There's going to be combo. And there's going to be a control-oriented playstyles. Like, different colours or different regions had, like, their own distinct playstyles. When I was a young kid, most of us were very busy hoarding different kinds of rare cards. You know, those super rare, ultra rare, that kind of... I can't remember the rarity format of Duel Masters, but some cards were better than others. And the more playable cards often are super rare in which they were not the ultra rare ones in which there's only like three or five of them in the entire card box when you buy so usually card games in the past came in boxes in which there was like maybe 10 super rares five ultra rares and one of them will be like the mega mega rare which was only you had to buy one box just to get one copy of it so most of my classmates at the time they were playing the green and red faction or maybe color just quite color think of it as a burn aggro version in duel masters actually aggro existed for a very long time so it was something that i was accustomed to to every card game which i played aggro is the most fundamental concept of card games you're simple you just drop a bunch of cards and you know hit the shields and end the game so at that time i experimented with different like combos and different combinations of regions so it all came down to me prioritizing Bometeus Steel Dragon hands down the strongest Duel Masters card I really prioritized Bometeus Steel Dragon over everything else like I would often go to the card shop and I'll often ask the uncle if the booster pack for Bometeus Steel Dragon was available I believe that other students or other kids around my age at the time they knew that that the one that belonged to Bometeus Steel Dragon was extremely popular so it was often sold out very quickly I remember at the point of time I only had one copy but eventually I had multiple because I would actually scout out my neighborhood to see who had it and I would trade like an insane amount of cards just for it so like the strategy I played was actually the Bometeus Steel Dragon Coral and Emerald deck. It's basically like manipulating what I can put in my shields because in the game there's a like there is a mechanic known as shield trigger. So basically the game revolves around destroying your opponent's shields. So the strategy I played was that I can summon a card to replace a card in my hand with a shield. So most of the time when I replace my shield it will be a card known as a shield trigger, which is another mechanic in which whenever your opponent were to break a shield, and let's say they break the shield and it contain like a with an effect known as shield trigger. Yeah, I can actually play it from the shield itself. So my strategy revolves around baiting my opponent to attack into summoning monsters directly from my shield onto the field. So most of the shield trigger effects can vary from a wheel of Ionia style, which is returning an opponent's card back to his hand. There's also a culling strike where I destroy a certain monster with certain attack less than the threshold. And so yeah, that was the strategy I played last time. I was actually reading most of the card when I buy the step back, I would read the cards to see how I can optimize or create decks that f- suit my playstyle. So at that time, I knew that, you know, the shield trigger manipulation and Bometeus shield dragon was really good at that time because 
it was the only card at the at that point of time before the new the newer expansions. The effect reads that whenever it breaks a shield, the shield will be instantly destroyed. It will instantly go to the graveyard instead of the even the shield trigger was not be was not able to be activated because of Momita's Steel Dragon effect. My whole strategy revolves around me benefiting from the shield effects and my opponent not being able to. So I played it to like relative success in my primary school. I went through the dual master stage and I eventually moved on to secondary school, which played back Yu-Gi-Oh! because most of my classmates they were progressing towards Yu-Gi-Oh! and they were actually buying the booster packs, but they had no idea how to play it. I thought to myself, you know what? It's time to try out Yu-Gi-Oh! I got a friend who actually had a lot of cards so I took the cards that he had and I made like a deck and then I played in school and then we were playing among ourselves thinking you know what maybe I could play at the local card shop because back when I was like young avoid playing at the card shop because I would assume that the older teenagers in there were significantly or much better than me in card games and of course there was the age thing in which I really avoided talking to people older than me I was scared they would, they would beat me up <laughs> Yeah, that was the delusion I had when I was a little kid. I moved on to playing in the card shop. This time around, I was a teenager and there were, you know, people who were like the primary school students now. It's a natural progression of things. You move on to different things in life. So of course, I moved on to the card shop. I played there and then I heard that there were going to be like weekly tournaments. I enjoy playing the game. Who knows, maybe to try participating in tournaments. So I often spend like my weekdays after school grinding out the card games with my friends at the Void Deck. Even in the school, we were actually trying out the cards, playing against each other, really enjoying everything there is to be a teenager. During weekends, I often tell my parents that I was going to go out to study. In fact, I did and then I went to play card games. But in fact, I played more card games than studying. I went to play tournament at like my house nearby. Eventually, I started winning most of the tournaments there and then I could I was quickly like rising up in terms of skill level amongst the people who were discussing. Even the shop owners knew that, you know, they, this this boy, this pretty good at Yu-Gi-Oh! Came about the age of internet where there were tournaments being posted online. So I was very curious. Went online, went to, went to the Singapore Yu-Gi-Oh! board. It was like a forum in which people post like tournament dates, timing and everything. And so I was curious. And at that point of time, I didn't really travel out of my own, how do I say it? In Singapore, just quite, I didn't travel out of my own station my own neighborhood on a on a fine weekend I took my deck and I leap of faith and I traveled all the way to the center of Singapore to participate in my very first sanctioned tournament which was held by one of the official vendors of Yu-Gi-Oh in Singapore so I went in there I was the kid that nobody knew you know I also looked around and there were people that were significantly older than me at the time I was 15 still in middle school and most of the people playing the games were 18, 19 some of them were in their mid 20s I should remember the card shop it was Cardmasters and Adobe God I was so intimidated I was so scared uh, with all these people who were like at least half a head or one head taller than me like I was not a small kid I was already 1.7 meters. You know, of course I felt a bit scared and I didn't really have anyone to talk to there because I was the only one from the east side at that point of time who went all the way to Dobigot to play card games. And so I registered in a tournament and lo and behold, I actually managed to place top 8 in my very first tournament. And then the guy who I faced in the top 8 was actually known as one of the best players in Singapore at the time. And so it was a very narrow miss that I lost because I didn't really know like the rulings and aretas of the deck I was playing. Yeah, so you guys who are playing Hearthstone, Artifact, and Legends of Runeterra, like you guys know about the interactions between certain cards. But then back then when you were playing physical cards, you didn't really have like an automated ruling machine where the cards interact in a certain way. But in, because you play the physical card, you wouldn't know how certain cards interact or like the ordering of the 
certain effects that you want to play. It was something that I wasn't very accustomed to because I was actually known to snowball my opponent and beat them. When it comes to that in a tournament where things were more serious and the players are more knowledgeable, certain occasions arise where you didn't know how certain cards would react to each other. And so from there, I went to participate in multiple tournaments from then. I made a couple of friends, lifelong friends, still this day. Most of them have really left the game. In fact, there's only one guy who I know is still playing card games. Pretty sure most of you guys know him. He's playing Hearthstone right now. Maybe I'll name drop him in the future. Two years from that day, when I turned 17, I became one of the youngest to become national champion with my teammate who is the youngest. So at that time, we were actually dominating the Singapore Yu-Gi-Oh scene. It was very, very good times. I had a very short, but I would say successful career playing Yu-Gi-Oh professionally. But of course, all good things must come to an end. When I turned 18, I actually made the decision to quit Yu-Gi-Oh because at that time, one of the big reasons was because my parents actually cut my allowance because... They say, I turn 18, you know, you gotta support yourself, gotta make money, you gotta go and work, go and work part-time. I try to make money. But that was something that they instilled in me. Like the moment that they cut my allowance, I became much more independent. I started to see things differently. Because back then when I received my allowance, I didn't really care much about anything. So imagine like you're 18 years old, you have no money at all. No savings because you just spend money on a whim. So it actually dawned upon me that I had to find a way to survive and make things do. I had to find a way to get to school, man, you know. I got to pay the, the, the train fee or the bus fee as well. I also need to feed myself. Of course, the first thing I did was quit Yu-Gi-Oh! One of the very big reasons was because I didn't really have allowance when I turned 18. There were also, also other reasons that I will cover in a future podcast. It's a very personal thing on why I left the game in the first place. I remember from 18 all the way to 19, leaving the... How would I call it? Teenager? Also, it's not really a young adult life. I was actually living the high school life, you know, hang out with friends, hang out with like different people, ex- experiencing different things and stuff. You know the drill. You're young, you're 18, you're 19, you just want to try out different things. There came a time where Hearthstone came about. Yes, Hearthstone came about. I heard it from one of my friends. There was actually a... He, he played War of Warcraft and then he told me that there's actually a new card game that came out. It's called Hearthstone. Because I downloaded it and I tried it, I played in the beta season. Yo, it gave me the same vibes that Legends of Runeterra was giving me, except that Runeterra is giving me way better feels because of the animation and stuff. When I first played Hearthstone, it was the era of Artosis, Reels, That's Admirable, Froden, or am I, one of my favourite guys who was playing the game was actually Forsen. Like They were playing this format known as a Fight Night. It was actually the reason why I got into Hearthstone, because... I played pro in Yu-Gi-Oh! and I really wanted to try playing pro in Hearthstone as well. So when I saw the format that Fight Night was having, it reminded me of a World Wrestling Entertainment. Like, <laughs> there was actually storylines and there was actually fields. So I was thinking if I played Hearthstone, there was actually a chance for me to compete in that level. In my mind, I set a certain goal for me, but I was, I had a very limited time statement, you know. Because I was 19 and I only left uh, like 8 months before I graduated from Polytechnic at the time. And after that, I was required to serve mandatory military service. But I gave myself like a certain deadline, around 6 months to actually play the game, get used to it, hopefully get something out of it, maybe participate in a world championship and win one. I only had 6 months to do it. It was all in, man. What I did was I contacted my team won the national championship in me. So I told them, hey guys, let's go all in for Hearthstone and let's see how it goes. They all joined with me shortly after that. So in April, April of 2014, yeah, I hit Legend for the very first time in... I remember playing Miracle Rogue, which was my favourite class and my favourite deck. And then eventually I participated in some tournaments... That was actually where I met Silver, the Cresmos GG guy, the guy who told me about the Legends of the news. He was very friendly and he treated us with open arms, man, because he knew that the people, he knew that me and my team that joined Hearthstone, we were former Yu-Gi-Oh players or even Yu-Gi-Oh champions. And so he treated us pretty well, you know. 
was very hospitable to all of us. They came about the BlizzCon qualifiers, which was the World Championship. I participated in the qualifier, and I was so sad that I was one game away from actually qualifying for the North America qualifiers. It was actually quite sad for me because it was so close, and I lost to a pretty sad top deck. You actually, you can actually watch the video online. You can just go to YouTube and watch a Singapore BlizzCon qualifier 2014. You actually find my my vault over there. You know, life would have been so different if I qualified for the North America qualifier. Not to say that I win the entire thing, but I had a pretty strong chance because I believed in myself and I knew my capabilities. I was going to enlist anyway, so I played my last tournament in December 2014. Very refreshing moment for me, because at the time I knew that when I entered uh, the Singapore Army, I would never get back to playing card games anymore. Because after that, I was gonna go into college and you know. Real life is gonna start adulting, yeah, stuff like that. I'm pretty sure you guys know it's quite. It's a next. You're, basically, you're gonna start a next phase of your life. So at that time, I mentally prepared myself that it's gonna be my last tournament. So you know, let's go all out. I remember participating in tournaments with my team and a couple of my friends who played Yu-Gi-Oh, but then all of them eventually switched to Hearthstone. It's actually sort of a final moment for me. I remember playing. I actually I didn't take the tournament very seriously, but somehow like because I was already in the state of mind in which I was prepared to to leave after this tournament. It was held at Suntech Convention Center. It was also my very last time that I I met Silver face to face until this year. I looked at Silver and told him that this was going to be my last tournament. I just played. I wasn't very try hard. I had a very clear mindset. I played the game much better than I actually did when I was starting or when I was trying to learn the game or when I was trying to qualify for BlizzCon. I actually played at the level in which when I won my first championship in 2012, like everything just clicked. I qualified for the top eight, and at the time, here's the funny fact: I had a flight to catch, which was four hours later, and I haven't packed my suitcase. And so I went on stage. I gave like the biggest smile to my opponent. Like he didn't really understand what was going on. Just played like the worst game possible. <laughs> funny, right? I was on a roll, and then I look at the clock. I had to go, man. I had to take a cab back and pack all my stuff because I was actually going to go Australia for vacation. And then <laughs> I was like, I just went on stage. I played, I played like crap. And then I went off the stage, and I look at Super and say, "Okay, that's it. That was the end of my Hearthstone career. So where's my top eight prize?" He looked at me and he started laughing. Like he knew what was going on already. Then I told him, "I need. I have a. I have a flight to catch." So I told my all my friends that, "Hey guys, sorry. I had to. I had to leave now. I can't join guys for dinner." So I took my my prize, which was a shirt that I often wear. It's the black and yellow Armageddon shirt. And I say goodbye, guys. And that was the thing, you know. At the time when I said goodbye to all of them, they didn't know that that was actually goodbye. Like they wouldn't see me until. Here's the best part: I didn't see them until 2019, or maybe 2018. I met them for the very first time in like after four years. <laughs> that was a strange thing, right? Like it was really goodbye to me. It was an end of an era. It was the end. Of my card game experience at that time, I didn't know that I was actually gonna get back to playing card games. In 2014, I made a mental preparation at the age of 19. It was over. No more card games. It's it's time to move on to the next phase of life. And then, of course, you can't predict everything in life. I remember in my final year of college, all of a sudden, when I was watching the international, they announced that you know Dota was gonna create another card game. So I had an itchy scratchy in me. A new card game. Come on, <laughs> gotta try it, man. And so I contacted like my friends from Hearthstone. And I told them that you know what, there's gonna be a new card game. Perhaps we should give it a go. They told me that nah, man, I don't want to play another card game. Like most of us at that time, you know, we are Singaporeans. It's a very Asian thing. You have to go to college and you have to start working. 
it's very different compared to people in USA or Americans or Europeans. It was not feasible or not viable to have a career in esports or playing games in Singapore, which I will get into in the future podcast. I played Artifact on my own, so I tried out the game. I find Artifact really, as a card game, it was the most well-designed game I ever played. Like, don't get me wrong, Legends of Runeterra is great. Artifact was well-designed. The only flaw was that, as a spectator, there's no way you understand what, what is really going on in Artifact, unless you played the game, which was an issue. And so I played, like, the constructed version, and then I slowly saw, like, the player base dropping. It went from 5 digits on Twitch to all of a sudden, like, we only had, like, 3 digits of people watching the game. I knew that the game was going to flop. There were content creators who were leaving. Some of them actually moved on or moved back to Hearthstone. I played Constructed and I eventually got like rating 71. I played the blue-green deck, the one with Drow Ranger and the Emissary of Quorum and the Incarnation of Salamanum, the deck which like buffed all your monsters and hit face. Of course came the In It For The Long Haul post, so the game was officially donezo. At the time when Artifact ended, I started working full-time. Got my, I got my first like appointment. In case you guys are wondering, I'm a software engineer. In case there were not enough clues being dropped. That was the Artifact experience. In it for the long haul, and it was over. There came a period in which I just went to work every day. I was a fresh graduate, learning everything I could. Actually making the full use of everything, all the opportunities I had. Went to different networking events, got to know different people. But in me, I felt that something was actually missing, you know. There was still unfinished business. Then there came the Legends of the Runeterra story. The story in which I talked to Silver, which I said in the beginning. Told me about the new card game. And that was actually how I got into Legends of Runeterra. So that has been my experience playing card games for nearly 18 years, if I could count. Yeah, nearly 18 years. Let us take a short break before I get on with the final topic of the day, which is what I intend to achieve with the podcast. So let's get right on with the final topic for today, which is what I intend to achieve with this podcast. So like I mentioned, that content creation has always been an integral part of my identity. I've been the person who really enjoyed English in school. I like to write stories. And actually reading, I also enjoy reading a lot. I like to express my ideas through writing. Perhaps sharing some things that I learned recently. So that's when, when I played Yu-Gi-Oh! Well, when I first started playing Yu-Gi-Oh! competitively, that was what I actually started doing, which was writing articles on my blog. As for Hearthstone, I didn't create like content, so I always felt that something was missing. When I quit Hearthstone back in December of 2014, there wasn't anything that could hold me back because I wasn't creating content. I was purely just playing Hearthstone for the sake of achieving certain things professionally and in a competitive scene. So when the time came for me earlier when I shared in my second topic, when the time came for me to quit after participating in my final tournament, I didn't hesitate, I just quit. I didn't even look back. Like at that point of time, I already mentally prepared myself. So right now, I want to go back to things just like Yu-Gi-Oh! So for Legends of Runeterra, my approach is to play the game and create content at the same time. Because it's something that is a part of me. Another reason is, podcast is something that I always wanted to try, you know. I've always been a fan of podcasts. I listen to them when I commute. I listen to them when I'm in my office. I listen to them when I'm studying. Even when I'm doing like my own work. I would like to share my love for podcasts on a topic for Legends of Runeterra with people who play the game. I also want to grow a community through this podcast and contribute to the Legends of Runeterra ecosystem through podcasting because when you watch YouTube, right, you have to stop playing the game, shift the tab to watch it. So with the podcast, instead of doing, instead of pausing everything that you're doing, all you gotta do is maybe go to my podcast and listen to it while you play the game. 
So you're essentially killing two birds in one stone. Through a podcast, I'm able to like diversify the range of content possible for people who play the game. You have articles that you can read. There are deck lists available for you to take a look. Through the podcast, I'll give you all more of an educational and psychological approach to the game. You can actually listen to it while you're commuting. But it might be your next favorite podcast. Who knows? Like I do know I'm starting from a very small, very small base. I might be, maybe I'm only having like 20 to 30 people who subscribe to my podcast or listen to it right now in the beginning. But of course, I've really been through the stage in which I had like less than 5 people read my blog. Eventually, I reached around 100 people read my blog. I remember at, the, at my peak, I had around 1,000, 2,000 people, unique visitors to my blog every week, daily around 500, which was a pretty good stat for me. When I first started creating content, I didn't really have much of a goal. I just wanted to share my content or to share my experiences playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Eventually, people found my articles and my insights interesting and they started paying attention to what I have to say. So for this podcast, I want to grow it organically. There's no reason to rush out anything. What I plan to do is to consistently put out a podcast every week on different topics. Like next week's topic will probably be about a card. Maybe multiple cards. I'll be talking about a certain cards overpowered and why those cards work. So you might be... So you might be interested to tune in next week to listen to what I have to say because of the current global pandemic that's happening or the global situation. I share the time to reassess the situation and think about what I truly want to do moving forward. Right now, I'm in the pace of my life where everything is very smooth. Like I have a good career. I exercise regularly. I sleep well. I eat well. I contribute as much to my community, which is the social scene, as much as I can. The only thing that's missing or like the missing puzzle piece is actually to get back to playing games again. People will say, you know, play games, you're wasting your time. But to me, I look at it as a hobby and there's nothing wrong about it. People always say it's a very nerdy thing to do, but they can think about whatever they want. They're entitled to their own opinion. So to all you young people listening, just ignore whatever people tell you. Just carry on with it because ultimately, we all know that we live in a very like, especially in Singapore, it's a country driven on meritocracy and... Without your results, nobody really cared about you. A very good example is you can look at one of our esports player who is Ice Ice Ice. Pretty sure in the beginning, people didn't really care about him. You think he really cared about what people think? <laughs> he just did what he wanted to do. He knew that was his purpose playing Dota at a high level. Eventually, I think he's right now more successful than yeah, I would say people at his own age. People at his own age probably graduated college. They probably are working. And he's actually living the high life. He's married. He has a kid. He's playing games. He's actually doing something that they enjoy. That might be you in the future. That's hard to say. And then of course, I'd like to use this podcast to educate future and aspiring professionals of gaming, or you can call it esports today, the mentality and mindset that you need to succeed. Even though my content is very niche, I try to keep it to Legends of Runeterra right now. Perhaps some of my future content, it might be, if we are timeless content, maybe things that you can relate to, regardless of whether you play the game or not, whether you play Dota or League. Maybe the topic I'll be talking about is certain mentality that you need to win the games and your friend might be able to gain some value or learn something new from that current that episode that I might release in the future so you share it with your friend not only do I intend to create like Legends of Runeterra content I'll be definitely creating some mental game competitive aspect and psychological aspect which I mentioned multiple times in the podcast already definitely one of the biggest reasons is to share my thoughts perspective and experiences of playing card, card games right now is Legends of Runeterra Maybe throughout the podcast, I'll share like little, little nips and stories of playing card games and competing from a young age. I got many stories. In fact, the, the time in which I became like champion, I managed to represent Singapore. The experience and the way Konami treated us. Oh yeah, Konami is the publisher of Yu-Gi-Oh! Or like the creator. 
the way they treated us as national champions was pretty good, man. The hotel was great, the food was great. They actually brought us around the country that hosted the international competition. So actually, there's a lot of incentives and a lot of things that you can learn from actually playing games professionally. These are some of the reasons why I want to achieve with the podcast. So actually, we have come to the end of the podcast. So right now, I share different ways in which you can contact me. As you can see, I am on Discord in the Southeast Asia Leisure Sorrentera group. I'll be posting most of my updates there. We'll have a new episode, I'll post it there. Along with the Legends of Runeterra Global Academy. Perhaps I'll get myself the content creator tag. I have to contact the mods there so I can actually post my podcast and get publicized over there so more people are able to reach it. I'm in the Masters of Runeterra Discord group in which one of the players, he actually invited me to join. It's actually a consolidation of all Masters players all over the world. And then I'm inside the Duos of Runeterra Discord group. Perhaps in the future, I'll join an actual Duos of Runeterra. I think there's one that's scheduled in two weeks from now, so yeah, I look forward to that. I might actually be considering having interviews and featuring players and content creators somewhere down the road. But right now, I intend to focus more on like a moral lockdown in which I host the podcast on my own and I talk about the game. And I'll share my RSS feed on Apple, Spotify, Google, and SoundCloud to have my podcast available on every single platform available. And so, when do I intend to post my podcast or like the date in which I've set so right now I'm looking at a uh, Sunday 8pm so it's just nice in time for uh, apart from my Singaporean listeners maybe uh, there's some American and European people who can listen to it as well and of course you can follow me on Twitch which is at awesome hazelnuts and for Twitter you can actually contact me at johanlok j-o-h-a-n-n-l-o-k-e so for which I don't intend on streaming anytime soon because I want to focus on the podcast first and actually play the game and you know slowly build from there and as for Twitter I'll be sharing like my podcast news as well that's another way to contact me and I will definitely be like talking about the deck list I've played and my le- and my rank ladder experience in the future I, ten- I intend to integrate Instagram into it as well I'll be sharing mostly about what I've been up to the entire week and stuff so you guys can follow me out there so do stay do take note for certain updates that will be coming your way. If you want to reach out to me through email, you can do so as well. It is awesomehazelnuts at gmail.com Yeah, do leave some feedback for me or you can leave a sus- you can subscribe, leave a comment and share with your friends to play the game. Finally, I would like to make a shout out to the Legends of Runeterra community as well as the developers of the game for creating this wonderful game for all of us to enjoy. I look forward to the new cuts the new game modes, and most importantly, new updates to the game, which will be coming in August. Thank you to everyone for listening to the podcast, and I'll see all of you next week. And that's game.